pass through Madison College where we explore the personal stories of women breaking into, working in, and leading change in non-traditional occupations such as STEM and the trades. This week, we are speaking with Nan Mortensen and Crystal Rossman of Dutch's Auto Service here in Madison, Wisconsin. According to 2020 Department of Labor Statistics, women make up just 9% of all professionals in auto maintenance nationally. Female mechanics, specifically, actually represent just about 2% of the field. So needless to say, it is definitely a field that has been male-dominated for many years, and I am so excited to learn more about Nan and Crystal's backgrounds and journeys through this field. This will be a two-part series, so be sure to tune in next time as well for part two. Uh, this time, we will focus on career development and student experience. Next week, our episode will focus on the professional experience of these two amazing women. Now, full disclosure, Dutch's is the auto service shop that I entrust my beloved LL Cool Jeep to. Um, and I did actually want to start out with the story of my first time as a Dutch's customer. So one day I hop in my car just to make a routine run to the grocery store and my tires were grinding something fierce. It, my whole car felt super uneven. And when I got out of the car to take a look, uh, at first everything looked relatively normal to me. And then the more that I looked, the more bizarre and wrong everything looked and I realized I had no context for what my car looked like normally anymore so I really started to freak out and I convinced myself that the undercarriage of my car was falling out of the bottom um and so went into full you know zero to 100 in about 30 seconds uh, a local friend of mine suggested Dutch's as a great female owned shop. So I called the shop and they were able to get me in the next day. So I dropped off my keys and hoped for the best. About two hours after dropping my car off, I received a call from Nan and she said, Sarita, it's gonna be okay, but it looks like you really need new tires. I'm so sorry. To which my response was, okay, and, uh, and what else? And she paused and she said, that's it, four new tires. I was so relieved and, you know, obviously told her as much. Uh, and she was so kind and, and said, oh man, you know, I was not wanting to call you with this bad news. I, I, you know, four tires is a lot to, to ask someone to do all at once, but you know, I'm so glad that you're relieved. I wish I could give you a hug. Um, I ended up getting my car back that day and it was truly the best auto shop experience I've, I've ever had. So I've been a loyal customer ever since. And, um, before we jump into the interview, you may notice some audio irregularities. This is just because our conversation was actually held in a local supper club right across from the shop. And um, I'm rel relatively new to Wisconsin, so it was also my first time in a supper club ever. Uh, so it was a really interesting dynamic day in so many ways. So Crystal, in 2012, Isthmus did a lovely article about the shop titled Dutch's Auto Service Men's Cars and Sometimes Their Owners. So thinking about that now, how does that headline strike you? I mean, it was a good good article, a good headline. Uh, it's very true. I mean, if you think about how how much your, your car affects your life and how important it mm -hmm. is, how much of an investment it is. I mean, it's a big deal for people. So sometimes we get a lot more information about your life than we need to know to fix your car right and sometimes you know that can kind of help us guide you into what's important in the maintenance of your car you know so if we right. know that you're struggling you know you just lost a job or you have to move or you're you know traveling i mean there's there's good information that helps us help you so I think that 
in the automotive. And I don't know if it's because we're women that we get that kind of information from people or we get that kind of trust from people or that confidence you right. know, that they feel like they can tell us things that they probably maybe wouldn't tell a guy shop. I don't know. Um, or they feel because we're women, maybe we don't really, you know, we don't have to offer a lot of discounts because we're already doing a fair. So, Nan, you opened Dutch's at your previous location in 2011. How did that come about? I would love to just hear that story. How was your partnership with Crystal formed? And how long have you, have each of you been in the field? Crystal and I used to work at the same place. And Crystal and I are very much of like mind in the sense of, as women, getting your car serviced can be an absolutely scary, horrifying experience. Whether it be taking your car to a shop and finding out that it's going to cost a lot of money, finding out that maybe work gets done that shouldn't be done and somebody's just trying to price gouge you because you're a woman after all, what do you really know? Um, so it was important for us to create a space where people would feel comfortable coming to us, to have a level of transparency. I mean, that's a priority for us. We want you to understand what does that tire mean to your Jeep, your, your LL Cool Jeep? What does that mean to your Jeep? You know, it's the only thing that touches the road. What type of driving do you do? Let's get you in something that you could possibly afford. That's what I mean by transparency. Instead of like, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm confident I can look at any vehicle and find something wrong. But that's not what you're asking me to do. You're asking me to address this problem mm -hmm. as opposed to do a hundred and plus maintenance point check that you never asked for and then come out and start fishing for more money for you. We'll give it a general glance just to make sure nothing else is going to fall off the car. Are we correct in thinking it's the tires for your Jeep? Let's make sure everything else is okay. All right, let's move on. So that's mm -hmm. what I mean by transparency. Um, Crystal... Um, Crystal and I have both been in situations where, you know, we haven't felt like we've been treated honestly or fairly by people, and probably Crystal more so than me, because I grew up around automotive, and I just have a different way of presenting myself. So, you know, I think that makes a difference. But mm -hmm. to get our old location, our first location, was, gosh, it'd be easier to staple Jello to a wall than what we had to go through. It was, it was a catch-22. It's like... We can't lend you money because you don't have a place to be, but you can't get a place to be because you don't have any money. Yeah. And starting a shop is expensive. You know, long gone are the days when you could open up a, a garage with a floor jack and a prayer. Mm -hmm. Long gone. You have so many regulations. Everything from ventilation to fire to hazmat to liquid storage, where you park your cars, how you park your cars is all regulated. So what was that? Um, tipping point where you said we're gonna open our own shop we, we were both pretty unhappy where we were each working and um, I left my job of 20 years wow. and started started this anew and between Crystal and I we have incredibly complementary skills like there's mm. I don't know a lot of business partners who have the complementary skills that we have um, I'm the salesperson I'm the front person I'm the person who takes no shit Mm -hmm. I'm the person who decides what comes and goes through the door. Um, Crystal during the day is, I'm her boss. Crystal during the day is a mechanic. You know, she spends about 70% of her time as a mechanic. The other 
well, 40% because she's working more than 100%. Um, she's responsible for all of our finances. She pays all of our bills. She makes sure that the lights stay on. Um, I, I, I see the parking lot needs service or repair. I talk to Crystal. I say, this is what I need to do. This is what I think the price range is going to be. Is this something we can do? We have to do this. So she'll tell me yes or no. Um, so she really has the, the behind the scenes that a lot of businesses don't have. A lot of businesses fail in this industry because um, they forget to pay their bills, they forget to pay their taxes, they don't manage their money, it all ends up in their pocket and then you forget that you have to pay taxes. And it sucks paying taxes, but that's what you have to do to stay in business and so that's what we do. The other thing is, is we agree on running a legitimate business in the sense that we do pay our taxes, we're appropriately insured, we're appropriately licensed, we're appropriately inspected and regulated. All of our employees are legal employees in the sense that they are all registered with the state and the feds. The appropriate taxes are taken out, you know, the appropriate paychecks are distributed, all the W-2s that happen, all the W-4s that happen, it's all kosher above the table. We don't pay cash under the table and unfortunately there's other small shops that will do that. And then at, at the end of the line, 10, 20 years down the road, that mechanic who's made that owner a lot of money doesn't have anything left. There's no social security because there was no record of your employment. So that's what I mean by we do things above the board. Yep. Um, we have an excellent reputation with the parts houses around here. That was important to us too, to be able to establish relationships with the parts vendors, the parts houses, oh. the parts dealers, the you know, you're, I'm not going to, you know, promote any one particular place, but um, with my experience and my background, a lot of those people who, you know, managed or owned those stores know me, and so I was able to get my foot in the door with them and get a good jobber rate. Jobber rates are what we pay. You pay retail, I pay jobber, the parts store pays wholesale, sure. so it goes along the chain. Everybody gets a few nickels. Mm -hmm. And we also agreed, too, that, you know, service comes first. And that's why it's Dutch's auto service. Literally, service means something, um, which means that when the the little old person comes over and wants their tires checked, mm -hmm. we check their tires and we put air in their tires and we don't take their money because that's not what you do. You just do that. Um, mm -hmm. People have a check engine light on. Stop by. We'll read it just like a parts store. We'll read wow. it for free. But the difference is, is I'm not going to sell you a part. I'm going to try to make a plan. Yeah. So we 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 fought hard. We looked at so many different locations. You know, just to come back to your question, <laughs> we 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 looked at so many different locations, and it was the same. It was the teeter totter. You know, mm -hmm. can't give you money until you get a location. Can't get a location until you have money. And right. then there there was one guy we met along the way where, as we were walking away, I just looked at Crystal. And I said, "There's no way in hell that guy's going to be my landlord." Because this guy's going to stop in and check on the girls all the time and want to hang out mm -hmm. and chit-chat with the girls. And we're not hang-out, chit-chatty kind of gals. We're the most wonderful thing happened with the location that we got. As we ran into an old farmer guy who owned that property, the man took a handshake and word as bond, which never happens. Wow. Which never happens. And that, you know, we, we owe a lot to that guy. He's passed away. But that individual, we owe a lot to because he believed us. He trusted us. And he, he took my handshake and my word as bond and allowed us to get our ducks in a row. And we ended up having um, what we affectionately call an angel investor. 
um, somebody who we kind of know on the peripheral was willing to put some startup money. And we started out with a floor jack and a couple of jack stands and a garage space and oh golly, that was so long ago, know. you know, yeah. and, and then just slowly acquired equipment and slowly That's moved incredible. along. But it's frustrating to make improvements in a building you don't know and own. It's frustrating to be in a building that's not suited for what you do. We were making mm -hmm. do with what we found and what we could do. Yep. And how long did we stay there? Well, we've been here for three years, so we were there for seven Six years. Six or seven, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, a year of setup and a few months of teardown. Yeah. Wow. So that's how we ended up over here. And this was, um, we're just happy we own our property. I mean, nobody's happy with mortgage and nobody's happy with taxes, but... You know, there's no landlord that we have to negotiate with. Crystal and I just simply have to agree with each other, you know. And then again, Crystal being the book person, she knows when to put the money aside. In 1965, the property that we purchased in 1965 was originally built as a shell service station. And in the late 80s, the gas station was closed down. All the tanks and the pumps were re removed just to meet, wow. you know, EPA standards at the time. And... It was run by one family for 37 years. It was a leased property for no 37 kidding. years. And that guy ran a really good show and was an anchor in the neighborhood. And then the business started to kind of run fallow. It was like all um, uh, land contract people. So it was just really kind of like a crappy scenario set up by the property owners for the people who were in there. They wanted to sell the property, but they didn't want to sell the property. So mm -hmm. they created a land contract which nobody could attain nobody could you know fulfill that contract so you know you're responsible for the upkeep you're responsible oh. for a lot of things when you're on land contract that you never get back so when we got a hold of the building it was actually um, a developer had backed off of the property otherwise that would have been a four-story lego building with mixed use you know coffee shop it would look like all the rest of the when we were looking at the property, we kind of had an inside track. We, we had a, a friend who knew the owners of the property. And they were becoming frustrated with not being able to find a developer because it's an old gas station, dirty dirt, toxic waste, blah, blah, blah. No developer wants this. Um, so it was really nice that the person who looked at it who wanted to develop it didn't know that there were grants out there to clean up the property. Were you both born and raised here in Wisconsin, or what is sort of your growing up story? I was born here. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, I was born here. I grew up here um, just south of Madison. I can tell people that I've had a Madison night address my whole life. I was born at St. Mary's Hospital. Um, I did move away after high school for about a year, went to the Twin Cities for a year, and I found out that my mama didn't raise a factory worker, so then I came back here. <laughs> <laughs> um, attempted to go to Madison College at that point, and that that lasted about a semester and a half, and then that okay. had to end. But no, I was born and raised here. I've lived here my whole life, born in Madison, so I'm like one of the originals. How do you feel like that forms you as a person? Like, what makes you you based on where you were born and raised? First of all, I was raised in a more rural setting, so, you know, I didn't have... Madison City life. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in an apartment. I didn't have to move when the lease was up. You know, I, I grew up in a house out in the country, which means that, you know, we had lots of outdoor time. I mean, 
mean, we, we were kicked out of the house. It's just like, are your chores done? Get out of the house. <laughs> Get away from here and make sure you come back by the time the streetlight comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I, I, you know, became interested in cars. My brother was a career mechanic. He's passed away, but he was a career mechanic. And about he's older than he's about ten years older. Eleven years older than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he um, he had some forty odd years under his belt. We actually hired him. Um, before we moved uh, to our new location, um, he worked for us for what a year and a half. I don't remember. Probably two years. Yeah. Yeah. Then he got sick, and then he passed away. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad, my dad got the property where my parents built their house by paying the farmer something ridiculous, like a dollar for the cow, three-acre cow pasture, <clears throat> or five-acre cow pasture three-acre cow pasture that they weren't using anymore, and five years of on-demand mechanical services, which means that if the farmer's tractor broke in the middle of the field, my dad was expected to come and fix it, which he could. Because that five years of service Mm -hmm. was equivalent to the value of that three acres of old cow pasture. You know, and um, I had a stupid life. My parents were both dead by the time I was 12. So, you know, as far as, you know, family support, no, it wasn't there. Um, so I pretty much done this on my own. I pretty much raised myself. And then I moved into town, town being Madison, air quotes, town. Um, moved in with a cousin who then became my guardian. I've been on my own for a long time. Finding your yourself sort of in this in-between place, and it, it sounds like in a lot of situations where you're just sort of making do and, and surviving mm-hmm. and um, keeping the train rolling. Um, how did you find the focus to think, okay, I'm going to focus my attention here? I think the easy answer is I refuse to be a statistic. Hmm. I refuse to be orphaned at 12, a drug addict by 14, pregnant with three babies by 17, Mm -hmm. abused, abandoned. I refuse to be a statistic because I was perfectly set up to be a statistic. Yep other than the fact of my head, of how you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to conduct yourself. I mean, my mother had a plan. You knew exactly what it was as a kid with my mother on how it was going to be when we walked into that department store, that restaurant, the hair salon, wherever we were going, you knew exactly how it was, you knew how it was going to go down or else, mm-hmm. you know. So, and my parents were Depression era parents. They were both born in 1929. If you don't have something, you figure it out. You figure out how to do what you need to do with what you have. You figure it out. You make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's not, no isn't a word that works well for me. So yeah, so I think that is just, you know, my, my being able to envision something out of nothing and Crystal's ability to put the money puzzle together and figure out what will it take, what... What numbers do we need to attain in our new location so that we don't go broke? And that's perfect, Crystal. Um, were you born and raised here in Wisconsin? Tell me your story. Um, so I was born in Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So I have a funny accent sometimes. But we, were, we moved here to Madison when I was two. So I did grow up here, actually on the north side. Um didn't really want to stay here. It's funny that I ended up back here. 
actually my first home I bought was a condo up on the north side, you know, like, mm-hmm. so completely didn't, didn't want to ever really come back. Um, <laughs> but here I am, you know, back in my old neighborhood. So what brings you back? Circumstances. I mean, it just, everything just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I grew up here on the north side. My parents, we did move, um, like when I was in high school, we moved out to Wanakee and then Lodi and, mm-hmm. um, but I pretty much always hung out in Madison. I always tried to find my way back here. Um, and I did go to college in Minneapolis, so I saw what a bigger city was like, you know, so now it's like I miss, I do miss the bigger city, but I like the smaller city, you know, it's kind of this push-pull feeling. Um, well, Madison is kind of a wonderful in between, right? It, like, it is. A, it, we are in a bubble here. It's a mm-hmm. it's a pretty safe little bubble. Um, there's not you can't really complain about much here. Um, I mean, but yeah, I so I grew up on the north side. I I'm kind of a tomboy. I always hung out with the boys in the neighborhood. I had their boys across the street. They're tinkering in the garage all the time. Young. I mean, we were young, so it's not like they were working on cars, but they were in the garage, and I wanted to know what what yep. are you doing in the garage? You know. <laughs> Um, we were always climbing on the, we would climb on the school roof, we would, I mean, we were just troublemakers. I never had any car experience growing up. The, the only experience I had was like, I just really loved classic cars. But yeah, then when I got back from college, I moved back here um, to be with my high school boyfriend. and. I just, I got an office job and, you know, just really didn't, didn't like where I was at. So I yeah. kind of changed my mind and wanted to switch careers. And I just, you know, I thought, I had thought about going into carpentry and I did go through the whole thing to find a job. Oh, wow. Um, but I think people were confused with my resume because I'm female, I have no, you know, experience but I'm applying to be, you know, like... Well, shame on you for being interested in carpentry, little girl. I know, I'm sure. Is, does she want a receptionist job? Well, how did you make the decision to focus on automotive? And what was the surrounding support that you had or lack of support? Or what was that experience like when you, you know, really started to go for it? Um, I mean, I would say automotive would have been my second, you know, trades choice, um, just because cars cars are cool and I want to know how to fix my own car and I like Nan was saying I you know I definitely felt taken advantage of when I would go take my car and I'm pretty sure like I used to go to the quick lube and get my oil changed and they always say you need these three services and I'm pretty sure I was picking the cheapest one every time so I probably had like cleanest coolant in any car you know mm-hmm. so I just wanted to know more and I figured that with cars, first they're always changing. You know, like I'll never know everything there is to know about a car, and mm-hmm. that's part of why I didn't really fit in in the office world was because there's this, you know, this is your job. You're in this little box, and this is your job for eight hours a day. Be happy mm-hmm. with that for the rest of your life, and your quarter a year raise. You know, like, yep, just not for me. I need more of a challenge. Need to be able to figure out the puzzle. Well, Nan, actually, I was thinking about. Um, when you were talking about your sort of familial change and how things shifted very quickly for you 
um, for you, how did you make a shift and say, this is what I'm going to do? And I was 16. I was on my own. I had to buy my own car. Then my car broke. And then I had to figure out how to fix my own car. I literally rolled my car down a hill on the west side oh my to a shell station oh no. when I was 16. You just rolled into the shell station. The, I put it in neutral and coasted down the hill. I knew where I was in the world. And, and the very nice man there said, this is what's wrong with your car. And I said, I think that I can fix it. And he looks at me and says, I think you can too. Oh, nice. Wow. And I waddled down to the parts store and I got some parts and I fixed it there in the parking lot of the shell station. He didn't charge me anything. I gave him, back then it was like $10, so he gave you like 20 But yeah, I gave him like $10 sandwich money because he didn't want to take my money because he was a good guy. <laughs> so when when both of you entered the field that you're in, were there any misgiv- misgivings being women? Um, did you have any thoughts about that? Or were you just sort of like, I'm charging forward, I'm doing this? Like, you know, I would love to just hear sort of that perspective. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, it was pretty. Click, click, it, click, click, yeah, click. it was pretty funny because it was like something just snapped one day, and it was like, "That's it. I'm taking control of my own life." That's kind of your mo. That's yeah. kind of your mo. You get to that breaking point where you're just like, "Yeah." So I had had it one day at my job, and I just, I was like, "That's it. I'm just gonna go down to MHC, and I'm just gonna get a tour. I'm gonna walk in there and and see what I, you know, what information I need to join the program or whatever." And um, so literally, I left work in my high heels, skirt, my white winter coat, like white wooly, like fancy coat. Cheese fancy. And I, <laughs> my high heels, and it's like click, click, click down the hallway. And I find the, the office for the, because I had already um, dealt with the Tools for Tomorrow program through the whole construction, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, thinking about going into the carpentry. So I went down there to find the lady that I had talked to before. And I was like, can you just give me a tour of the auto department and like, what do I need to do to, to maybe figure this out? And so we literally went walking around and there, was, there were classes in session and they all stopped and looked. <laughs> These two ladies like looking at the face and everything. It was so funny. And you're in a fishbowl when you're in class. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, and that's, and so we filled out the application and, and I joined the program. And I just thought, you know, it's, it's so inexpensive that if, if I'm not going to get this, if I'm not going to be good at it, I'll probably know right away mm-hmm. because you have to have the, you know, you, you would know if you have the hands to use the tool. Right. Yeah. Cause I yeah. was unhappy with my job anyway. So mm-hmm. I knew I was going to have to like choose a direction and just go with it and so I I got a job at a parts store for the summer until the program started so that I would get familiar with some of the parts terms and and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and then what happened one day when you delivered parts to a repair shop (laughs) what happened when you were driving on your way back what happened well I think we would talk about this later but I um that we were short a delivery person and so I had to take some parts over to the shop down the street and all the and there were younger boys younger men they all stopped their work and were they were checking me out and time then and then after I left they're all talking about me and guessing how old I am and blah 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 you know and so the manager calls up my store 
and tells my manager that I can't deliver parts there anymore. I'm too much of a distraction. Whoa. Yeah. More common than you think. Wow. More common than you think. Tell me more about that, Nan. You're dealing with guys. And in some cases, you're dealing with young guys. And young guys just are like little thumper buddies, you know, bunnies. They look at women and they're just like, oh my God, it's a, it's a girl. Oh my God. And they lose their mind and they lose their manners and they lose all sense of decorum. And then it becomes all about them. Right. I wonder how old she is. She's hot. I wonder if she has a boyfriend. I wonder if, you know, so it, it all ends up on our heads. You know, we, we are the ones who have to rise above that and stay focused on the job. How, how do you rise above that? Well, the way I was raised, I was just raised to, you know, in that short time that I had parents, my mother especially, you know, you, I was taught you do not envy what anybody else has. You don't want for anything else that anybody has. You don't be like anybody else. You just do your own thing. You know, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, be honest. Yep. Do no harm. So, Oh, and if, you, if, if you're in a fight, finish the fight. That was the other instruction. But I worked in a job where I worked second shift. I would literally walk in the door at 1.30 for a 2 o'clock shift, and I would see the vehicles that I had worked on the night before on the rack being reinspected by the people in the day shift who didn't think that I could do my job. And my manager was stuck in a rock between a hard place because he knew that I could do a job, a good job, but wow. he didn't have what it took to stand up to them and say, you need to do your own job and let me worry about the performance of this person. That's insane. And it came down to something really stupid, like how much grease is supposed to be packed into a wheel hub. And I said, it, it, what, what, is that the only thing they found? They didn't put enough grease in the wheel hub? Can you show me the value? Can we look it up in the repair book? Right. Can you show me what the value is? How many ounces of that... And my boss was so frustrated, and he says, can't, can't you just do this? It's so much easier. And I said, easy is a four-letter word that doesn't get anything done. I am not going to be, I work for you. I don't work for them. I work for this company. I don't work for you, you know, work for them. Yeah. Technically, I'm senior. They're my subordinates. Right. You know. Well, and so I really want to kind of dig in a little bit more towards the earlier days as students um what was your experience like what was it like to be a woman in an automotive program nan what years what years were you there it had to be the late 80s so late 80s it, it was the i was the second class in after that building after that complex was built how many other women were uh in your classrooms zero yeah zero not in the first year not in the second year there were no women in either and so class. what was your experience like having to navigate that sort of landscape? I was working full-time. Um, I felt like I was going to school with a bunch of the people that I went to high school with, which was not pleasant because it was a very high school environment. I'm paying out of pocket. I have no family support. I'm working full-time. I have no security net, no safety net. I got to pay my bills. I got to pay my rent. I got to pay for gas. Got to pay for school. Got to pay for insurance. <laughs> I don't want to be here screwing around with a bunch of high school kids. And that's mm -hmm. what it was. It was screwing around. You know, yes, there was education. Yes, there was learning. But there was just, I remember my very first day in class, um, going down the roll, making the call. You know, Adams, you know, Burns, I don't know if these were real people, but, you know, I'm in the middle of the alphabet. And they're just like, oh, uh, well, it looks like the girl didn't show up today. You know, that's kind of typical. <gasps> 
and I stood up in the back of the class and I introduced myself to the class and I said the woman showed up so that was my first experience Whoa. with Madison College and at that point I was race rocket pissed because I'm paying cash out of my fucking pocket because there's no financial aid for me there's no nothing because I fall right exactly in the cracks right exactly in the new era of Reagan's Pell Grant gutting you know got it that really pissed me off, but I wasn't willing to let the small-minded people who get gender confused mm -hmm. be my problem, because they're not my problem. My problem is getting through school. My problem is managing work time, home time, and school time in order to hopefully get a degree that will hopefully bolster my career. You know, and I, I made it a semester and a half. And when you don't have another woman in the wing, when your bathroom is locked and you can't use the ladies' room and you have to leave the wing, you know, and just think about Truax, if you have to leave your wing and you have a 15-minute or 20-minute break, you are screwed. Mm -hmm. You are screwed. You are not going to be able to get out of that wing, get your needs met, and get back there in that allotted amount of time. And, you know... It's one thing when you're working in the lab and you're working on cars, you can smudge your time a little bit, but in the classroom you can't. You need to be back in your seat and ready for whatever is next. Um, I felt like I got paired up with uh, the old guy, who at that time was in his 40s and a little kooky. I felt like we got we got paired up together because somehow you know we were the, the outcast, the black sheep, wow. the, the, the crap that somehow landed in there. That's how I felt. That I, I was just, why are you even here? And that's how I felt in the whole industry when I started in the late 80s as a professional mechanic. You know, not somebody who's just screwing around. Like, I got a real job that says you are a mechanic. So this is like, you know, late 80s, early 90s. And that was the time that the industry was being gentrified in the sense that the guys had to take down the titty calendars out of their bathrooms, off their toolboxes, off their shop worlds. Somebody actually had to clean the toilet. Um, it was no longer important. It was no longer appropriate for the service manager to imply favors for fixing your car. Um, it was no longer appropriate for men to, you know, come on and hit the, hit on the little woman. It was now recognized that women make up 50% of auto repair. Women are carrying around 50% of the cash, the income, for that business. So somehow, when I entered the industry, it all kind of intersected that that was my fault. Like somehow the almighty powerful little me <laughs> was the one who was responsible for the nationwide gentrification mm -hmm. of the industry. It's all your fault that I can't look <coughs> at the titty calendars. Well, when right. the tool trucks come around, the giant big tool trucks come up to each shop, when the tool trucks would come around, I was the only woman out of 420 individuals on the tool truck. I was the only woman. And the tool guy was amazing. Because first of all, I had the highest credit um, available to me because I was responsible because I've been paying my own bills since I was 16. You know, everybody else is all over the map and everything. And so we would actually go through the calendars, which were literally titty calendars that you would give out free every year. Oh, the titty calendars out and all the guys would be like, oh, the titty calendars, guys. I just started to do that with the tool man. I mean, being queer, why not? Yeah. You know, he accepted me for who I, I was, and, you know, he was the most adult person I was around at that Let's time. Let's review this together. And we did, actually, and, and we, would, we would do it really fast. It would be like January, you know, just we would go through them all. We would go through them all, and then I would hand him the calendar back and said, well, now that you're not going to give me a titty calendar for free like you have all the other guys on your route, what are you going to give me for free in the truck? Because you, you don't offer me anything. 
I don't want your titty calendar. So what are you going to give me for free? And he, and he just Savvy. and he just stopped dead in his tracks and he goes, that's a really good question. What do you want? And I said, well, you know what? I think in fairness for the value of the calendar, I think that I want a new pocket knife, this little one, and I think I, and I, think I want a new spark plug gapper. He goes, okay, that's a deal. And I said, every year when these come out, I'm going to be asking you for something free, so you better have something ready for me. Every year we'll go through the calendar. We did this for 15 years. We went through the calendars, real, fake, 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 wow. real. Because that's just our rapport. That's how yeah. we got along with each other. Yeah. And people don't need to walk on eggs around me. Guys get funny. Oh, no, no, no. she doesn't know what she's doing. Oh, well, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable. Well, you know what? Sometimes in our job, when there's two people working on something, sometimes you snuggle. Literally, you are intertwined with your coworker. Right. You know what? It can be a game of twister when you're underneath the car. It yeah. can be a game of twister. Yeah. You know? Crystal, um... How was your experience similar or different from Nan's? So I got, I feel like I got really lucky. And I don't know if, I don't know if it's just because of the time that passed or I I have, I had totally new teachers different than what Nan had. Mine all retired. Yeah. And I had a friend who actually did the program before me, years before me. Um, and she complained about the teachers because all they wanted to do was take smoke breaks. So it, she must have had the old teachers who were ready to retire. Like, mm-hmm. they, they didn't care about teaching. They didn't care about what you guys did, you know, whatever. Our teachers were really interactive. And, I mean, they really genuinely seemed to care about teaching. Um, you had a good class. First and, of all, you had, had a good a, class yeah. and you had good instructors. Your instructors will tell me what a great class you had. Yeah, I mean, we oh, had... Oh, wow. And... and they actually, the first year, in the second year, they'll pare it down because you lose people, you know. And they actually said, let's keep this class together because they're they're like a family. So, and we had, I thought for sure I was going to be in school, in class with a bunch of 18-year-old kids goofing around. I thought that's how it was going to be. So I, I kind of mentally prepared myself for, like, being the adult in the room, yep. you know. Um, but it turned out I got a really good uh, group where there were a lot of age differences. So there were a lot of older people coming back to, to go to school for this. So that was really nice. And I think that really helped kind of bridge that gap of, you know. Being a professional and being yep. a punk. Yeah. And, it, and and I had a lot of smart kids in my class. I mean, there were, I feel like, some really uh, talented um people and that have continued in the career so that's awesome yeah so I got really lucky um I also was older um and so being older and being more focused by older um if you don't mind sharing your age but I was 28 okay I think I would have been 28 so still young by (laughs) still young I think I was like 19 yeah maybe 20 yeah yeah and but old enough where I had a mortgage, I had to, I had worked yeah. full, I'm working full time, I have bills to pay too. I don't, you know, my parents are there, but they're not, they don't support me financially or anything, you know, I mean, they're, they, they right, had their concerns. You're um, of age that you're doing it on your own. Yep. So, so, and, and being that I would focus more on studying, whereas in college, I didn't, I was, I wanted to party and work, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, 
you know, so once I went back for this, it was it's much more of a focus thing. Handshake is the number one way students find jobs and connect with employers. Students enrolled in one degree college credit are automatically registered and may use single service sign-on to access this site. They just need to finish the registration process and complete a profile. In addition to jobs, students will find a job fair, events, internships, and on-campus opportunities, plus be able to join with peer messaging. We need you to help us encourage students to use this site. Contact Current Employment Services at Madison Area Technical College, 608-243-4598, or email us at currentemployment at madisoncollege.edu. Are any of your students curious about internships? Do they need assistance in finding internships? If so, send them to our internship advisors in Career and Employment Services. Our internship advisors can help students understand internships and how to create an internship search, along with ideal times to apply to opportunities, review or help create application materials, practice for interviews, and so much more. Students can connect with us by calling the CES front desk at 608-243-4598 or by self-scheduling an appointment in Navigate.